Howdy folks, Craig here. This episode we have James Doxey revealing all of his secrets on how he plays the Arcanist Master Karis and her Wildfire crew. He also exposes how to effectively play against her. But before we jump into the episode, our friends at Gadzooks Gaming have a sweet offer for all of our U.S. and Canadian listeners. Gadzooks Gaming has always been a big supporter of The Third Floor, Malifaux, and a ton of other games like Wild West Exodus, Dark Age, Frostgrave, and Legion. What makes them my favorite online retailer is not only the customer service, but the wicked custom terrain and accessories that they sell. They're giving all of our North American listeners free shipping if you spend $100 or more and enter in the promo code THIRDFLOOR. That's spelled out one word, T-H-I-R-D-F-L-O-O-R. Check them out at gadzooksgaming.com, use the promo code THIRDFLOOR, and the details are in the show notes. Now on to the episode. I think it's cool that it's, even though you're a you know a competitive player, that it's really the fluff that's kind of uh, set its hook inside of you and has kept you on a, a certain faction. That's very cool. One of the traps, I think, with Karis is spending a lot of energy moving pie markers. Um, you can. She has a one action to do it. A lot of Karis is positioning, understanding when you need to be in a pyre, when you don't want to be in a pyre. I see Karis on the other side of the table. Um, what are some things that are going to help me? Can you give me a sense of what she's afraid of? Obviously, there's two core models, right? It was her and her totem. But beyond that, are there models that just always make every list, um, regardless of what faction is declared by your opponent or uh, what, what the pool is? Whenever I hire anything, you're looking for, is this scoring me points or is it denying your opponent's points, yep. which includes killing their stuff? Every time I take the fire starter, I seem to regret it, and that could well be me. There are few things better than stepping away from the screens, unplugging and sitting around a table to do battle with your friends. Every week, Third Floor Wars brings you the latest strategies, tactics, and reviews on board games, card games, and miniature games like Malifaux. If you want useful information on the games you already play, or new insights on great games other people are playing, you are in the right place. Craig and Ray welcome you to the third floor and the Tabletop Talk broadcast. Craig here on the third floor. Today we're going to do a deep dive into the Arcanist Master Karis and how she and the Wildfire crew work in Malifaux 3rd Edition. My guest today is James Doxey. He's an accomplished Arcanist player coming out of the UK, and James has been on the show before, and we are excited to have him back. So, James, welcome back to the third floor. To start off, can you tell us how you ended up becoming an Arcanist player? Oh, I think that's um, that's an interesting question, and thank you for having me back. Um, I think they were the faction I gravitated to in first edition. So, I think we, we spoke last time about how uh, I, I played in first edition, um, and when I I picked up Malifaux for the first time. Um, I'd, I'd had a few weird miniatures in, I think, sort of in a, an undead uh, Warhammer Fantasy army years ago. But um, when Malifaux first came out and I was sort of looking, picking up, I think I grabbed sort of the two crews I like the look of. Um, I think that was a Nicodem crew and a, uh, and a Rasputina crew. Um, and it just so happened that my, my mate wanted to play uh, Nicodem and... 
that left me with Rasputina. And so the rest is history. Do you think that there's like stylistically, there's something about Arcanists that has kept you with them for so long or? I, I like the, I, I kind of like the, the kind of the rogue magic user and the sort of the seeker of truth um, sort of aspect of Arcanists. Um, and, you know, we've talked before about my love of steam powered mechanical robots. Um, sort of so aesthetically, there's that going on. There's this kind of the, the kind of the individualistic um, sort of the talent of the individual over kind of the oppressive homogeny, the guild. Um, I, I kind of like, and um, it kind of speaks about sort of the mastery of an art, a lot of arcanism, you know, sort of the way, um, the way sort of the, sort of the mastery of a specific art. Um, and I kind of like that element. Um, so I suppose all of those things drew me to it as well as this sort of, there's something of the investigators in a, in a Lovecraft tale about the arcanist sort of, you know, this sort of that aspect of, of it speaks to me as well. I think it's cool that it's, even though you're a, you know, a competitive player, that it's really the fluff that's kind of, uh, set its hook inside of you and has kept you on a, a certain faction. That's very cool. So, all right. So uh, the reason we're here is we're going to really kind of deep dive into Karis. Um, you, you and I've uh, talked offline and you've said that uh, she's always been one of your first loves. And of course in 2E, she struggled. Um, but uh, we're seeing her come back here in 3E and I know you've been getting a ton of games in with her and uh, I asked you to do a deep dive with me and this is the one you picked. Uh, so we're going to really talk about, you know, the Wildfire crew in general, not just Karis and kind of the, how do they play on the table? Um, how do you build a Wildfire crew? Um, kind of uh, what your thought process is, James, getting, uh, you know, for a path to victory um, and how many adjustments you make to the opponent, you know, the uh, schemes and strategy pool and things like that. So probably to get us started, James, can you give us a bit of an overview um, on on Karis herself? Yeah, certainly. So so Karis herself um, and her crew, um, certainly the, I, I think of them as sort of sort of fast skirmishes. So they've sort of got a, a kind of a run and gun style and they're sort of harassing the opponent um, into sort of putting them under pressure so that they stall um, and then sort of running and completing their objectives, um, you know, having, having sort of stumbled their opponent. That tends to be the way, the way I play them and the way I see them working best. Um, so that's sort of in terms of play style. And then primarily they're focused around, um, around the burning condition, which you would expect, um, and also pyre markers um, and sort of the use of sort of projecting that hazardous terrain onto the board. So I noticed when I look at her car, the, the entire, you know, marker um, mechanic, how much does that come into play with her? Is that something that you're going to see a lot of uh, when you're playing Karis or is it a side effect that you use it when you can? Um, how pivotal is it? It varies strategy to strategy, but uh, but broadly it, it it is fairly fairly important. I mean, I, I have a sort of long standing opponents who will just occasionally mutter sort of out of no bloody eight pyre markers. Um, so so clearly it's having a psychological effect on my opponents, if nothing else. <laughs> um, the yeah, they, they are fairly pivotal. Um, you use them in a couple of different ways, um, and, and and to a certain extent, both with the the pyre markers and the burning, what you're trying to do with these is make them a problem for your opponent. So the less energy generally you can spend in managing pyres, and the more you can kind of shunt that onto the opponent, the better you're doing. Um, would be my, my way of looking at it. And, and so, how does it if you're pushing to have the opponent manage them? Can you can you dig into that a little bit deeper for you? Like, what, what exactly does that mean? You want them to manage the markers? So. 
what you're trying to do with the markers is force your opponent to react to them. So if an opponent stood in a pyre, um, you know, not uncommon for them to be able to take three actions in a pyre, pick up three burning, gain three injured, they've then got to worry about, okay, well, I'm activating in a pyre. Do I need to move out of the pyre? Am I prepared to take the three burning? What about the injured? And sort of the more you're kind of putting them in a position where they've got a question to answer with the pyre, um, the better you're doing. Um, so generally, getting a pyre where your opponent's going to want to be, making them either spend the AP to walk around it or take the conditions that the pyre will hand out to them and then manage those conditions off their own models, either by just taking the effects and, and sort of and kind of facing it that way or taking interact, uh, not interacting actions anymore, assist actions now um, to kind of manage those conditions off or bring in condition removal. Those are all inefficiencies you're forcing onto your opponent. Um, and, and so that, that's that's the way you're trying to get to with the, uh, the pies. So really trying to push them into making suboptimal choices and decisions, things that aren't pushing them towards victory, not tr- towards scoring. Absolutely, um, and just sort of giving them more, yeah, give, giving them more to manage, and that, that, that kind of that by forcing them onto onto that inefficient um, path or making them make difficult choices, that kind of leaves you freer to act and score yourself. Right now, they're fifty millimeters, right? Yeah, the fifty mil markers they hand out burning as standard, and to the enemy, uh, they become injured and they're unignorable. Um, so that kind of gets round uh, a number of things that um, sort of people could do to ignore terrain. And um, in a typical game, James, I know it'll vary, but in a typical game, how many pyre markers are going to be there at, at the end of turn five? Um, I mean, end of turn five, again, um, it'll vary, but I, I, I think I, I don't think I've quite run out having eight in my uh, my box so far. So sort of somewhere between six and eight, ideally, but, but again, very, very strategy dependent. Yeah. And it's... Um, I know she has, it's a bonus action for her, right? To create one. Is there other ways that there's pyre markers popping out there other than her uh, bonus? Yeah. So there's her bonus action. So she drops them. Um, There's, she can drop one on a trigger on a main attack. um, And you drop it as a blast mark as it goes down in contact with the, uh, the model that you were originally targeting drops acts as a blast mark and then becomes a pyre mark on the table. That's, that's really effective. Uh, the fire girl and the fire gamine drop one when they die, um, and Carlos, in addition, her one of her henchmen can uh, can create pie markers as well. So those tend to be the ways that they drop down. The majority of pie markers will come from Carries herself for the duration of the game. And are are they moved at all, or once once they're down, they're down? Um, you can you can so. One of the traps, I think, with Karis is spending a lot of energy moving pyre markers. Um, you can. She has a one action to do it uh, or a, a general act, tactical action to do it. Um, and her totem can do it. And probably the totem is the most efficient at moving them. Um, you probably do want to move them. Um, it, it's about, again, about efficiency. And that the other thing that can move them is once a turn, fire golems and gamin that are taking a walk action through a pyre can bring the pyre with them. Mm, okay. um, it's again it's one of these things where I, there, there is a slight trap in spending your AP moving pyres and messing about with pyres um, and, and, that, and that's again where you want to be on the where it's efficient to do it do it where it's not efficient to do it you'll be you've just got to watch that because you can spend a lot of your energy and your AP messing about with pyres and not, you mm-hmm. know, not progressing towards victory so in, in, if things are going your way how, how on a particular turn, how do you want Kara spending her three actions? 
Um, you'll generally she only has the one um, also the one relevant um, free action so she'll generally have a go at making some pyres which is good she'll often stand in them herself um, you're generally looking to spend her her energy attacking um, so she has running guns so she can charge an attack with her main attack um, so generally you're looking to charge in attack something probably hit it again and often you're looking to get out of dodge um so you're quite often sort of skirmishing in and out of the battle line um with her um but that running gun's really effective sort of charging six being able to shoot another eight target something and then kind of bounce back out again and that, that tends to be how she's trying to spend her turn is there anything in particular you're doing to keep her alive other than positioning um Positioning is the key. Um, she's defense five and armor one, so she's not the most tanky of masters. Her built-in defensive trigger gives up, gives out burning, but again, it's not really helping her. Um, you don't need a lot of stones for suits in this crew, so you, you tend you tend to be fairly liberal with your stone use in defense. Um, and the other thing to bear in mind is the burning condition on her. Um, she can spend burning on herself for positive to deals. So quite often, you try and pretty much any time someone's coming at her, you know, you're trying to. You, she'll generally have a good degree of burning on herself and you're aiming to to spend those in defense just to make that uh, that much harder for your opponent to get at you. Gotcha. You know, it's funny. I remember seeing that on the card and automatically I thought about her attacking because I think of her as kind of an offensive piece, but I didn't think about that. You could lower that burning and uh, help her defensively and get yourself on positives. So that's cool. But it'll also help you get around some conditions too. Yeah, and you know, and, and any and it's any deal. So you know, terrifying duels, any any kind of deal you can you can spend it on, which is which is useful. So it don't even have to be opposed. And the thing to remember with burning, um, burning stacks are after three. So you take one at one, four, two at four, and and, and three at seven. Because she's armor one, provided you're at burning six or less, she takes one one damage a turn from the burning and. The way I look at it is you, you manage it, you leave the burning on her. You don't try and take no damage from burning. You just accept she's going to be on fire. She's going to take a point of damage a turn and kind of price that in. So, yeah, just just get her on fire um, and, and fairly on fire. Um, and that, that really helps her get on with uh, get on with life. Yeah, I guess by the end of the turn, you know, at the end of, you know, via her activation, your ability to spend that burning allows you really to manage that, right? that's it and, and you know bearing in mind often you know if your opponents are attacking her there's no problem in spending that burning off as well so like if they are attacking you can spend the burning down if they're not attacking them you know taking a point of damage at the end of turn is not really a problem um bearing in mind as well she's often scooping burning up so she's quite often she's taking actions inside a pyre so quite often she'll create a pyre charge into that pyre um, and then just start attacking from it so she's kind of she's sort of cycling the burning as she uses it anyway um all of that's that's fairly kind of baked in with her, so there's no problem having her on fire. There's no problem. Just sort of, you just got to accept that she's, you know, she's going to be on fire. Take a, take a, you know, point of damage a turn. Right, right. And so obviously, you know, putting her into the pyre while she's acting um, it picks up burning because when you take an action inside of a pyre mark, pyre mark, you you gain burning. Is is there? Are you getting burning on her elsewhere through her crew and things like that, or is the pyre markers enough? That tends to be the way um, you generally the first action on the first turn or early in the, the in, on the first turn, someone like Carlos will activate the pulse that comes off Carlos um, when he activates the same one the fire golem has. Just a two-inch pulse, everyone gains burning. Um, so you tend to pick up a point or two that way early doors, but after that, um, you tend to be getting all your burning from, uh, from pyre markers. Very, very cool. Now, you know, the first, obviously, you read, read a card, right? And, you know, it makes 
you get kind of an idea of, you know, how she works. But after you get a, maybe a, you know, five, 10 games um, of Karis, is there something that you kind of discovered about her, you know, maybe by the third or fourth game, something that wasn't real obvious at the beginning? Um, I think the, 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 really taking some time to understand her conflagration attack and how some of the interactions on that work. Um, and, and really, it is all about conflagration um, for me. I think that a lot of the rest of it is a distraction. Um, so the attack's built-in trigger is, is, is quite useful. Um, so you take... The attack itself does a point of, you know, does a point of, damage, a point of burning to anyone damaged by it, which is great. Um and you can trade that point of burning effectively on her built-in smaller trigger for a plus one damage, but it's damage from the burning condition. Mm. So it creates um, effectively an attack that's three, four, six. Yeah. Um, but because it's two sources, that gives you a couple of, um, and the second source is from the condition, it gives you a couple of, um, of useful things. So, for example, leveraging that enable to me assassin, I'll try that sentence again. Enable me to assassinate uh, Jack Daw because Jack Daw cares about how many times he's taking damage, not how much damage he's taking. Um, right. So there are some there are some useful times when those sorts of, of things, and also understanding a lot of Keris's positioning, understanding when you need to be in a pyre, when you don't want to be in a pyre, um, and, and when to spend your burning for the for the positive flips are really the, the sort of the key to getting the most out of her and. For a new player picking her up, the thing to do is really spend some time with the um, the rules for hazardous terrain to understand how pyre markers, you know, circumstances under which pyre markers work, how they work, um, because that that it does take a little bit of getting used to, and that's probably where the heavy lift is in terms of learning learning sort of that's the only complex rules and interaction in the crew, and it's one you, you want to invest a little bit of time in. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it uh, hazardous terrain is not the most common terrain type that you see on a board. Um, and even in 2E, there's people that, you know, it's easy to get rusty on the rules. Uh, whereas, you know, with with her, you're going to use a lot. Both you're going to be going into it and uh, your opponents hopefully will be going into it. So that makes a ton of sense. All right, that's good. Um, so, James, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, I want to talk to you a little bit about, you know, how you build a wildfire crew, if you have a core to that crew, and uh, kind of your, your thought process on that so we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back howdy folks craig here now if you love gadgets as much as we do you're going to love the new third floor wars gadget bundle from schooner labs branded with the logo of your favorite podcast it comes with two measuring multi-tools a compass stepper for those tight and important movements, along with a compact dashboard to track your turn, strat, and scheme scoring along with your soul stones and pass tokens. It is the perfect bundle for anyone who plays Malifaux or just wants to look cool while doing it. The link is in the show notes. Check them out and help support your favorite gaming podcast. Okay, so we've got Karis. She's out there. She's creating pyre markers. Um, she's doing some attacks. And, uh, you know, James made the point before the break that that uh, damage track on that attack is very, is a bit deceptive um, and pretty unique. I really like, James, what you said about Jack Daw um, and how uh, you could really leverage Karis going into uh, going into Daw. But uh, let's talk about uh, kind of building a crew. So is there is there a core, you know, 
obviously there's two core models, right? It was her and her totem. But beyond that, are there models that just always make every list um, regardless of what faction is declared by your opponent or uh, what, what the pool is? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm fairly, I'm almost always working with um, Keris and Totem, as, as mentioned, um, a fire golem, a fire gamin and Carlos. Um, those are probably where my, where my core sits. So, um, to kind of take you through how how a kind of typical first turn will play out with those core those core models because I think that's that's fairly key to to looking how to get some sort of leverage some value out of the crew. Car- they'll tend to deploy in a fairly tight bunch. Um, Carl, one of the things the great things about this crew is it's got a lot of movement anyway, um, which means you can you can afford to bunch a little bit more at the start. Right. So Carlos will tend to activate pretty much everything will immediately be set on fire by his pulse when he activates. Um, you've then got a bit of a choice. So if your hands, so you, you really want to try and get two pyre markers down on the first turn. Um, that, that tends to be tends to be kind of a key objective. Now, Keris's built-in pyre generation um, needs a five of anything, uh, and a five of mass will get her a second cast at that um, at that action. Carlos needs a tome to do his. Um, so you're looking for, and I believe his is a six of tomes. Someone can correct me on that. Um, so I think what you're trying, what you're aiming to do is you're looking at your hand and, and figure out which one of them is going to create the second pyre. Keris will always go for the first one. Carlos, you know, it, it, it's whether or not Carlos is doing the second one or Keris is. Um, and if you can't do either, I'm not above stoning for one. I think that's that's probably fairly key is getting them down. So Carlos, if it is Carlos, Carlos will drop the pyre marker um, and then move off, um, and then he's free to go objective run. Um, and Carlos is you sort of your your expensive um, kind of mid-range um, skirmisher on the edge of the of combat, but looking to do um, looking to do objectives. So his, his other action, if he's not making a pyre, gives him a five-inch move and picks up some burning for him, which is useful for him. Um, he's got don't mind me. He's a showgirl, so he's fairly mobile. He can get out of combat. He can interact while in combat. Um, his attack does both burning and distracted on the attack. And so he's really useful. He's got butterfly jump, which is one of the best defensive abilities in M3E currently. Yeah, that's so, a good ability. So difficult to pin that guy down. Very, very fast across the board. Um, so generally, he's moving off in the direction of whichever objectives he's he's going to go run at. So that leaves you with a pyre marker um, somewhere generally at least five inches in front of the fire gammon. Fire gammon will then go off and do. It's already got one burning. It'll wander into that pyre marker. Gets up and picks up another burning and walk again, caddying that pyre marker further up. And its aim is to wind up um, at that point with with three burning on it and a, a back of its base about eight inches from the fire golem. That now fire gammon and fire golems both have have sort of two common abilities. They can use burning on themselves as armor um, or as damage reduction. Um, so you can spend up to two burning off them to reduce damage down to a minimum of one so that makes them relatively tanky for their points um so the gamin's set up now eight inches in front of the golem pyre markers sat on the front edge of the, the gamin's base because it's allowed to take the pyre with it when it takes that second walk um and so it's set up and ready to go so the fire golem then can activate if carries is still stood nearby she'll probably get a point of burning from its pulse he has the same one as, Ka- as carlos when he activates everyone within two gets burning um, but what he's able to do is then use his free action on the fire golem. Uh, needs a seven, and that allows him to place in base contact with any model that's on fire within eight inches. Um, 
That's so incredibly useful because you're going eight inches forward plus both of your bases. You get a ton of movement off that place. Um, it's useful all the way around generally. So you can, you, you know, it's good for leaping into combat, out of combat, but on the first turn that sets you up. So you've got that fire golem now 10, nearly 11 inches up the board at this point. Uh, and it's got two general AP left. Also, it's just used its free action. It's just landed in the pyre. So it's free action as well as placing contact with the models on fire. It gets to take up, their, up to three of their burning from them and put them on himself. And as, as I've already mentioned, you know, it uses it as armor. So now it's got the one it got from Carlos, the one it got from landing in the pyre on this action, and the three off the fire golem on it. So it's got five points of armor. And it'll get one for whichever action it takes next. So you've got a fire golem that's reasonably tanked up, and this thing's defense five, ten wounds, um, and now effectively armor two, and set, you know, ready to go and ready to go after um, something. And I will generally aim to try and get that golem into something on turn one to start holding the enemy up. And I tend to use it as a fairly disposable um, model. It's going to go in, do some damage, hand up some burning, and hold the enemy up. Um, ideally, hold them up in, you know, in a pyre. Or just generally just set the enemy on fire and, and cause them to pause coming out of the deployment zone and having to deal with or early into their sort of getting out of, out of dodge and sort of trying to force them to deal with this fire golem. Yeah, and with that, you know, with 10 wounds and, you know, the up to two damage reduction, I would imagine uh, he sticks around for a good bit so you can, so you can get aggressive with him. Is there any healing um, in the crew? You, there is healing available to the group. I don't tend to. I don't tend to take the healing options in the crew. Um, so the, there's probably. I think the thing with the fire golem is there's a limit to how much you want to spend keeping it alive. It will, you know, generally it will soak eight hits from something, and that's enough. Um, provided you can kind of keep, you know, your defense five, you should be able to keep them to broadly hitting you on weak or moderate. So you know, provided they're not hitting you for more than three. You can drop that down to one pretty reliably. His attacks um, let him pick up burning as well as give burning to the opponent so he can kind of replenish that armor at will. And I, I just tend to let him get chewed through. But the time it takes your opponent, the energy it takes your opponent to chew through him tends to mean, um, and then his ability to sort of redeploy out of combat by using his free action to get back out of combat, charge something oh, else. right means that it's quite difficult for your opponent to manage him not being where, you know, not attacking the thing they don't want him to attack and then, and just let your opponent kind of chew at him um, and, and, and sort of let them waste their energy on, on dealing with a fire golem um, while your crew are off scoring. Yeah. I mean, if you can, if he can soak three or four activations of other models, that's, that's big. That's it, and, you know, and that's what you're using him for. You're using him as that speed bump, that kind of battering ram going. Something he'll, he'll generally he will kill something, um, and when he dies, he'll drop a pyre. So you want it with like everything around him's on fire. It's wasted a load of AP. It's now got to worry about the fact that it's maybe taking. It's certainly taking one damage a turn, but probably getting close to taking two damage a turn. At which point, you know, that mounts up pretty quickly. So it's not uncommon at the end of turn three, you know. Models are just dropping dead on your mm -hmm. opponent's side from the amount of burning that they picked up casually. And Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Then that leaves carries free to sort of snipe um, things that need finishing off or, or kind of run off and get objectives and the rest of that crew is then free to move. Your your fire gamut is surprisingly tanky because it can pick up more burning, can eat pyre markers to gain burning and heal. So it can run off and do some additional road bump stuff or go, you know, go do some light scheme itself. It's walk five, it's regionally survivable. So it can go, you know, it, it can go off um, and, and get, you know, and get, get going as well. So that's a, that's a core of a crew that's 22 stones um, and it kind of gives you a lot of flexibility. The, piece in there we haven't talked about is the eternal flame and it's easy to miss this guy um because he's insignificant um and he's you know he's only got three wounds he's armor two so he takes a little bit of putting down but he's not impossible to kill but the tactical actions on him are incredibly useful so he's got two tactical actions his free one lets you place a part a pie marker within three of itself and that's done at up to 10 inch range so that's quite good for kind of making sure that pyres are under enemy. So if an enemy's sort of moved out of the pyre or moved away from a pyre, you know, you can just go, bam. Okay, now it's now it's back underneath you. You take another round of burning and injured, um, which is really good. And then it's got flaming detonation, which always throws people because it doesn't destroy the pyre marker. You detonate oh, a pyre wow. marker, but it doesn't destroy the marker. And it's a pulse to um, enemies with impulse to the pyre marker. You target again up to 10 inches away. TN13 move duel, and it's one damage and one burning if they fail. So again, that's kind of draining resources and, and the number of opponents that will then, once they've seen an activation of that from the the uh, Eternal Flame, her totem, will then make you know, make a beeline to try and kill that, which, you know, again, they can do that, but again, it's more AP they're spending that isn't, you know, isn't in any way preventing you from scoring. So it sounds like to me, you know, obviously you've got Karis, you've got the totem, and it's pretty much the gammon and the golem that are going to make pretty much every crew, and then you're going to flex the rest. Yeah, that's it. I, I think those, that, that that's where your core is coming from for me, um, and the rest is all is all up for grabs. So staying within the wildfire keyword, um, what are some common ones? So not takes every time, but models that you've gotten a lot of good mileage out of and are, are making the the 50 soulstone cut more often than not um so there aren't loads i'll be i'll be honest i've been messing around with um with elijah borgman as a secondary hitter um he's quite useful his challenge is when we talked about sort of you know carlos and the golem and Karis, they've all got effectively three ap they've all got an additional move in there somewhere so that they're able to they're able to be fairly effective borgman doesn't um he is the only member of the crew that can effectively leverage, um, can sort of effectively leverage um, something else having burning. Generally, you're not paying a lot of attention to the enemy's burning value. Um, you're letting them worry about that. But his immolate allows him to sort of take a load, put a load of damage, convert burning up to five burning on a model into damage immediately, which means your opponent has to worry about that a lot more. And he's got a very solid attack. He's you know armed with a great sword, which is always good. Um, where what really lets him down is his speed. He generally wants the enemy to come to him a bit more, um, which can't, is why he doesn't always make the cut, certainly. Got it, got it. And how about uh, one of my favorite models, um, just from a modeling perspective? Does Firestarter get any use? Every time I take the Firestarter, I seem to regret it, and, I, and, and that could well be me. Um, I, I think for me, the challenge is at cost seven, you know, he's, he's another objective runner. He is sort of his primary offense is, is of minimal value. 
probably the thing that, and it, because of the reckless he is, you know, he's generally quite vulnerable. Um, you know, unless you're, you're kind of managing that fairly carefully. Where he, where he probably is quite useful, um, light under their feet, um, his tactical, oh, sorry, his attack action, but it tends to be performed more as a tactical. Um, Eight-inch range against movement, um, and it lets you push models and reduce their burning to push them further. But the trigger on that's quite useful, draw out their secrets. So if you get a tome, which isn't built in, but is a henchman, so you can force it, drops a scheme marker in base contact with the target. So what you can do is you can get, you know, you can have your fire golem or something else engaged with an enemy um, and just ping it in the back, withdraw out your secrets, it can relent. Um, if you get it, if you can probably, you know, probably get it that time trigger and you can, there's no TN. So as a, as a, you know, if you're doing it to a friendly, um, you can just any two tomes or a tome and a stone, drop two scheme markers in base contact, do that late on. It does give you a detonate the charges, um, that sort of thing. Um, I, I think the challenge for Arcanus is we have some great objective runners that are neutral um, and well-costed or, or sort of a well-costed even paying hiring tax. So that that tends to be what keeps the fire starter out of my lists. Well, speaking of which, so let's talk about that. What are some uh, versatile and out-of-keyword models that you'll bring in? Um, so I'm, I'm a big fan of Wingammon. Um, so you're paying out of faction, you know, sort of out of keyword, you're paying seven for a Wingammon. Uh, six stone model normally, six wounds armor one, um, very nice leap, um, and uh, a movement six with flight. So they're very good scheme runners. They'll they know they'll run into the back corners. They'll go do breakthrough. They'll go do um, search the ruins. They'll go do power ritual very nicely. So they tend to be they tend to be a good low cost or mid cost scheme runner for the crew. And combined with Carlos, that tends to give you the objective running you need. Uh, I like a Soulstone Miner, um, as, as, as presented in the beta. I'm conscious we are at the end of the beta. You know, we are after beta as lot, but before we've seen final rules. Um, they essentially discount themselves by two stones during the game, so you're getting a six, near enough a six-stone model for four, um, which may, um, they're very mobile. Um, they tend to be not the greatest objective runner these days. Um, they tend to only get maybe one good interact or two good interacts in a, in a game, but they are quite useful Um for picking off models outside or just harassing models um, that are trying to run objectives. So they tend to do kind of a mixed role. They'll either deploy um, to do further scheme running if I need some support in, in objective running, or they'll um, just deploy to harass the opponent. And they can do they can do work in things like hold up their forces, um, whether a cheap model can appear out of nowhere. You can do other there's a few interesting things you can do with those sort of appearing and disappearing. And how about um, and of course isn't isn't released yet, so I would assume you'd have to proxy. But uh, they have a, she has a new minion, right? Firebranded. Yeah, the firebranded. I mean, I'm, I'm disappointed by the firebranded. So they're six, um, and the challenge with, as as a six um, with a firebrand that is, I, I don't know why I'm hiring them. Um, so <laughs> yeah, whenever I hire anything, you're looking for is this scoring me points or is it denying your opponent's points, yeah. which, which includes killing their stuff. Um, its attacks are very ordinary. Um, the only thing it's got that's that sort of you would look and go, what's what's my unique selling point? Why am I hiring this? Embrace the flame, um, which is a free action range six heal, and it's a decent heal. You should be getting, you know, with setup, you should be getting three healing on a model with that. Um, but I'm not sure I'm paying six soul stones to heal, some, heal something three um, a turn. If that, it, yeah, it, it just that just doesn't feel like a great. Use of uh, use of six soul stones to me. 
Yeah, it's a bonus action, right? So you're only going to be able to do it once per. Um, so that's that's limiting. I, I would imagine it'd be a little bit different if it was a tactical, um, not a, or just a regular action, not a bonus action. Exactly. And if there was something else there, if there was some condition removal, if there was some some other utility that you're going to get from this other than the heal, because you've got to assume on turn one you don't need the heal. Healing the fire golem, which is the thing tends, you tend to be aiming to take damage on, or tends to be the thing that's, that's sort of routinely heavily on fire and around things that are on fire to be healed. You know, you're only really trading the thing that it's using as armor for more health. So you're not really getting, it's almost the reverse. When you heal something behind armor, you know, your opponent might have had to put three damage in to do one damage. So when you heal that one back, you know, you, you know, you heal three back, you're healing somewhere up to nine wounds effective to sort of your opponent to take that back off again. When you, when you heal a fire going with embrace the flame, you're sort of trading its armor off for the healing. So it, it's almost the net is, is lower than the sum of the heal. Um, and, Keris tends to want to be too mobile to then be being chased round by a firebrand and going, hang on, wait, wait, I want to heal you. You know, it's not that that's the thing for me. Now, I, I'll confess all of this is from a position of theory five. I've not yet got one on the table, um, but I, I don't see anything that's got me in a hurry. It, it, it hasn't inspired you enough to even to even try it because you just you can't figure out where he fits. Um, and that talks to the kind of the healing trap that you mentioned uh, in the first segment. Yeah, I mean, I, I think with the Keris crew, you know, you, you're trying to, you know, to you're trying to burn bright and burn quick, right? So you, your, your tendency is, you know, stuff you're going to lose your own models. Um, you tend to want to go in. Um, you tend to want to fight. You're not the you're not the the most tankier factions. I mean, you are an arcanist, so you've got options. Um, but you know, actually, if you play, if you want to sort of be be taking hits, there are better arcanist crews for that. Um, this is, this is a crew about being mobile, about sort of surgically striking at the enemy, about tripping them up and running. Um, and, and the, you know, and sort of, so that, that kind of, that kind of approach of kind of going, well, I'm going to heal and I'm going to sort of stand in the battle line and slog it out. I mean, that, that's where you want to be Ironsides or, or sort of, you know, Hoffman. That's where you want to be, be one of those rather than, than sort of this crew. And I think that, that, it probably, to me, feels like building the crew in the wrong way, although there may well be sort of a viable approach there. I just don't feel like it'd be more efficient than something else you could be bringing. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, are, do you, are you finding yourself hiring a second master? Um, I'm not with uh, I'm not with Karis. Um, and, and I think that's an archivist thing in general. Um, I know Rezzers like to hire a lot of second masters. Um, I think the way our masters are set up, I've yet to sort of see too many situations where I'd want a second. Um, and the times I've done it, I've not been thrilled, although it's something I want to play more with and it's not something I've, I've got a lot of experience with yet. But but certainly when it's, it's come up as an option, um, it's certainly something I'd, uh, you know, I'd probably uh, back off on a little bit. Yeah, I have I I've yet to do it, um, and I don't know if that's just because I'm stuck in my ways and building crews from the last edition. Um, uh, Steve, who was uh, on and talked about Molly, um, gave me kind of the first scenario where I think I would definitely try because he talked about bringing McMorning um, in with Molly. But um, I'm I, I'm just I'm dying to hear more people talk about this aspect of the game. Uh, cause it's, uh, something you and I talked about, um, on our first podcast together. It's just, it's so brand new and potentially just changes everything, but I've, uh, I haven't heard it yet. Right. I haven't heard anybody say that, uh, 
it's a whole new game because of this or it's broken because of this. So I think that's it. And I, you know, I'm tempted. I, it doesn't, I want to try it with a couple of the beta masters, sort of the, the sort of the um, try it with, with Ironsides or with um, Mayfeng a bit more. Um, I think one of the challenges is you see a lot of second hiring going in to either support a summoner um, with more aggression or to sort of to sort of add add a summoner to it to a more aggressive crew. And and the way that Sandeep's crew into locks tends to mean that that's that's not as efficient as I've as I've experienced it um, on the odd occasions I've tried. But it, I think it'll be something to see how it how it plays out. Yeah, like you and I have mentioned uh, in the first cast, it, it's it's going to take time. Um, and it's going to take tournaments and, and some competitive play. And we now know that uh, end of June, we're getting the full release. Um, so I'll be anxious to, to come back at the beginning of 2020 and, and talk about it with you some more. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And uh, when we get back, I want to talk to James a little bit more about his approach when he knows what his opponent's faction is and what when he sees the pool. Uh, so we'll talk about that on the other side of this break. Okay, so we've got a kind of an idea of how James's core crew works. Um, got a feeling of some of the other keyword models that he's going to be bringing in um, a good bit and what role they're going to play. Talked about a couple of versatile models as well as out of keyword models. Um, so, James, I want to kind of get into a little bit of your approach. So, let's say that uh, you know you're well. First off, with with a Karis crew, what do you think has more? of an impact on your build the opponent's faction or the pool or is it too many variables to be able to say one has a bigger impact than the other certainly right now i'm going to say the pool um yeah. and, and part of that is is lack of experience so you know I've, I've played i've got to be getting close to 20 tournament games so games in you know in tournament conditions with live opponents rather than sort of practice games at local club um, and that's still not enough. I'm still encountering masters for the first time yeah. every event. Um, and so a little bit is, you know, I'm not tailoring as much to the faction because I'm, I'm still seeing what everyone else is capable of. Um, and, and that, so that, that may well change. Um, but right now predominantly aiming against the, uh, the objective set. That makes sense. So um, of the four strategies, Plant Explosives, Turf War, Corrupted Idols, and Reckoning, I want to talk about each of them. But I guess I'm curious to know, is, is one of those strategies one that screams Karis to you? So if that is the strategy that's that's going to be, it's going to kind of put her at front of the line? She certainly likes Plant Explosives. Um, very mobile crew um, and, and a crew that's very difficult to pin down, which means um, everyone's you know pretty much got a way out of melee um, without needing to disengage. So fast crew um, with the ability to use that speed to both hunt the enemy down and, and get markers down yourself. You know, she really likes plant explosives. Yeah. And I could see where uh, your fire golem trick could really mess up um, as far as denial too, right? Keeping them on their side of the board. And is that, is that a situation where wind gammon uh, could be potentially making the list? Yeah. You know, you can, you can use a wind gammon. So generally what I'm looking to do in plant explosives, I'm looking to get um, three bombs on, 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 on individual models and two bombs on one. So generally Carlos will take two bombs. Um, I, I, I tend not to put a bomb on Karis and then regret it every time. <laughs> um, so, so cause she always then winds up in a place to drop one. Um, but, uh, you know, you tend to wind up with one on a wind going one on a soulstone minor and then one on, on a, another, um, model in the list, but everyone's fast enough that they, they sort of, 
I tend to like to try and get someone to kind of go deep for a couple of bombs so that they're, they're kind of in that kind of, I'm so far back from the, the halfway line that it's, it's prohibitively difficult for my opponent to get to these bombs. They can kind of drop those and go off and do something else. Um, and then, and then kind of have the other three. So kind of, so kind of two bombs go deep on Carlos and then the three, um, the other three kind of skirmish in and aim to, um, or the wind gamming to go as well. And then kind of the other two bombs kind of lingering around as a bit more of a, either to lure my opponent into trying to intercept them um, or to, uh, and sort of then then have that fight um, or or in a more, sort of more close in where I'm trying to deny my opponent at the halfway line. Yeah, it. Um, I have yet to play a plant explosives game, um, but it reads to me um, that the more time you can get them sp- uh, spending time on their side, uh, the, the better off you are. How about turf four? Um, do you do you like Karis and turf four? And if so, what's what's your what's your thoughts and approach? Uh, turf four is good. I mean, I think what you got to be very careful with is, is not getting into a slog. Um, around the markers um, with Karis. So what you tend to want to do is he's kind of break out fast, get get probably the marker, the two markers, pick two markers closest to you, get those turned on quickly and then move on. Um, mm-hmm. And what you're trying to do a lot of the time is hold the opponent up um, or delay the opponent from getting towards those markers. And you're trying to, a lot of the time with turf war, you're trying to evacuate your home quarter um, a lot of the time, um, or you know, so you pick a quarter you turned on as kind of your home quarter, and kind of evacuate from there, so your opponent can't turn it off again. Then or claim it themselves and kill, you know, because there's nothing, or easily because there's nothing in your quarter to kill. So if you're prepared to play that quite quick, be very conscious about which models are in which quarters to try and sort of get kind of get round and prevent. That tends to be how I go for it, and then then you're aiming to use kills to just deny them quarters um, and kind of pick it up that way. That actually makes me think of something I meant to ask you and I forgot, James. When you're forced to split your crew uh, at deployment, is there anything in particular that someone should keep in mind with Karis um, or anything that you have found effective or is it really not a big factor? You're fast enough that you can generally redeploy. Um, What what I tend to do when I split, um, I will tend to leave... You know, the Golem, the Gammon, and Carlos are always going to wind up together. So they always wind up in the same pile. Um, so generally, it's sort of it's them, and then I kind of load balance it out. Um, but uh, it's fairly rare for me to go after a. Uh, I, I think the art of splitting a crew is still something that, that, that sort of I'm practicing, and I don't think I've got completely right. Um, yeah. And often, I think, you know, it's not about splitting 50-50 model-wise. It's about what does my opponent worry about? Where is it? Uh, you know, where, where, you know where, where is my opponent going to worry about this model being? And often that's Keris, so I can kind of, lo- you know, wait the other side away from Keris. People still want Keris down, but your crew is fast enough that it's, it's not that big a deal. You can even recover from a mistake I've made there because of that speed, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the reasons I like speed, you know, I like speed in Malifaux generally as a, you know, as an overall um, trait is it gives you more ground to cover. You're not, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to make every every single action count as much if you've got enough speed to kind of cover or, or kind of react to your opponent more efficiently. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of speed in Malifaux for that reason. So how about Corrupted Idols? Uh, how, does, how does she do in there and uh, what is your approach? So idols is probably um, 
you've got the speed for idols. What you don't have is the wounds. Um, mm. So idols are about two things: getting to getting to markers and getting you know getting wounds down um, to sort of kick them across the line. This is where um, this is where she starts to. I, I know. I think she struggles a bit more. Um, you can make good use of your pyres in in plant explosives. You can also, oh, sorry, in uh, in idols. You can make good ex- good use of your pyres in uh, in turf war because your opponent's going to be in a predictable place. I, um, but I, I think idols is fine. You can play idols. Just bear in mind any additional wounds you take are going to go on on top of you know what is not the most tanky crew to begin with. Right. Um, and, and that that's where you've got to be quite, you know, you, you, you've got to be quite cautious about going for that kind of three punt and going like, you know, be a bit more, be a bit more cautious about where you're going for, but you've got the speed for it. Um, you've absolutely got the speed for it. So it's not, it's not unmanageable by any stretch of the imagination. And how about reckoning? So reckoning is probably the one I'm coming around for, for a crew that is is quite quick and killy, I'm actually I'm coming round to not liking reckoning as much with Karis. Um, you know, you 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 want to be in a position to be the aggressor, and you want to be distracting your opponent from something so that you're sort of splitting their attention between them, trying to do their objectives while you're harassing them. When their objective is killing you, that that's actually much more difficult. Right. Um, and you do, you know, from time to time. You can be quite a brittle crew. Um, it's quite easy for things to get, get killed um, if your opponent's able to focus down on them. So it, it's one of those. I think um, I am. I have yet, or maybe I've just yet to figure out the right reckoning list. Um, but I, that, that's the one where I, I feel like um, Kara struggles the most. So that's the strategies, James. I'm, I'm going to give you a, a scenario. So it's uh, it's nationals, and you're on the final table, of course, right? Round five, and uh, plant explosives is the strategy. What are the two, three, four schemes that uh, would be in that pool that would just be the dream Karis pool? What are what are what are the schemes that she loves? So she likes um, she tends to like marker heavy scheme scheme pools, um, both for you and for your opponent. So uh, we'd like to see breakthrough in there. We'd like to see such ruins in there. Um, certainly. I'm more of a fan of deliver the message than most. Um, you've got the movement to kind of get in, get the message delivered, and potentially chase down a master, um, you know, uh, and go from there. Um, I think beyond that, there's you know, there, there's mileage in a number of them for her, but she generally wants um, she generally wants that uh, that those marker heavy schemes. One of the things we didn't talk about going through. Uh, Keris's cards herself, both Keris, uh, the Golem, and Carlos have crow triggers on their ranged abilities that remove scheme markers um, in, in quite a decent pulse. So I've played against Colette crews that have struggled to keep markers on the board against Keris when she's able to focus on that. Yeah. So one of the, one of the things you're generally aiming to do, you know, you need a marker heavy pool that gives you both the ability to deny and the ability to score. Um, and so, so that's probably what I'd be aiming for. Very cool. All right, we're going to take another break. And when we get back, we're going to give all of you non-Karis players uh, a treat. We're going to talk about how do you counter uh, a, a wildfire crew and what are some of the weaknesses. We'll be right back. Okay, James. Um now, uh, you and I have spoken before. I will never play Karis because I'll never play Arcanus, <laughs> and I hate Arcanus. So when I see Karis on the other side of the table, um, what are some things that are going to help me? Can you give me a sense of what she's afraid of? 
Yeah, so um, she certainly, she certainly, she's, there's a range of things. So a, a lot of people immediately go for condition removal. Um, condition removal is one of those things where you've got to be, I think you've got to be careful how much you over-invest in condition removal. I see a lot of people like over-invest in condition removal and then that costs them because, you know, as we've talked about, I mean, any model can um, assist another model in removing the conditions. It's about doing that efficiently. So one of my, one of my general aims is, you know, you sort of don't worry too much about condition removal on your own stuff, but particularly anything that can strip burning off my models, um, so off the carries players' models, is more useful. Particularly, you know, if you can if you can end the burning condition on the golem, suddenly that becomes very killable. Mm-hmm. Um, suddenly, it stood there with defense five and nothing else. Um, so that that's the kind of thing you'd like. If you can um, remove pyre markers in some way, they aren't destructible, but there are things that remove. Markers, Molly can do it, for example. Those are those are useful things. So that's what you want to do. Um, and then, you know, she's not a fan of stunned. And there's a lot of triggers you really want to leverage um, and a lot of free actions you want to leverage in the crew. So she doesn't like stunned either. But uh, that's probably what I would aim for um, and the way to go. And, and maybe if you can try and force her to stand and fight you, um, that, that's probably where you'll have a better day. Is it is it worth your opponent taking the time to to move on her um or how i mean how how key is she to to scoring and then making the crew work i'm I'm never overly concerned to lose karis um i I think she's you know but it it does shut down you know a lot of threat and options so you, you do have to be very careful losing losing karis and a big part of you know karis play is keeping her out of dodge one of the interesting things with karis is her only melee attack um, cannot attack or cannot target models with flight. So there are there are things you can do. Um, so you drop a, you know, you know, even a relatively cheap um, model with flight into melee with her, then that makes it relatively difficult for her to then, you know, she's then going to struggle to get out of dodge. Whereas her general um, melee attack actually moves the enemy off her, so it's not going for her to hit somebody, place them out of combat with her, and then run. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's not the most effective thing in the world, but it, but where it comes up, it can be quite fun uh, or it can, can be quite tricky. I had a Zip player charge Zip into Keris the other day, which was quite funny because they both have the same melee attack, neither <laughs> of which can target each other. Uh, so, you sure you want to do that? Because it's not going to end well for either of us. Um, um, I'll let him take that back then. And he decided to shoot at her instead. So, you know, it, it's sort of, you know, that that's one you can can leverage. But generally with her... Um, it's a bit of a devil's choice trying to chase her down. Um, if you've got something that can go for a go for her, um, and, and, you know, and certainly if you start putting her under pressure, she'll have to certainly think about where she is because she doesn't generally like to be. You know, if you can get into charging her, if you can get some shots off, you know, she she will go down. She is only she is only defense five, but bearing in mind that her built-in defensive trigger will also give you burning one each time. But you can certainly you can certainly kill her if you're if you're focusing on that. Is there kind of a target priority someone should think about? I mean, we talked about, you know, the golem, you know, being a bit of a uh, <clears throat> sponge. Um, but is, uh, is is there somebody in the crew that it, that is a keystone um, that you, you would prefer if they didn't go in on? Um, I mean, I think it's about the right attacks, the right things. So the golem um, reduces a lot of damage, but if you can end his condition, you go, you know, it dies pretty easily. You can also... 
you know, it's only it's got two attacks. If you can, you know, if you can give it slow or you can distract it, um, you know, you can get you can take that out pretty effectively. Um, Carlos has butterfly jump, and that is his primary defense. His primary defense is just getting out and away from things that are hitting him. So, if you've got things with, I think it's furious charge, where you can charge more than once a turn. Um, so you can sort of charge in, hit him. He'll disappear. You know, he'll try and back off, and then you can charge in and hit him again. Um, those sorts of things. So it's about picking the right. All the pieces are important. It's about picking the right weapon for you know for each fight, and they're, they're different for each of the uh, the you know the different for each of the different threats in the crew. That's fantastic, James. Well, that was good, man. I appreciate it. If uh, if I were to t- be lucky enough to talk you into coming on again, what uh, what's the next master you think you'd feel the most comfortable doing a deep dive on? So I'm currently I'm currently shopping around for my next master. Um, I'm currently midway through painting my fang. I, I think uh, well, I have mostly painted my fang. Um, I also want to toy with Ironsides and um, and Hoffman, as we talked about before. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to focus on one of those next. It's kind of looking like Mei Feng, just because she's higher, you know, she's further through the paint queue than uh, than a lot of the other options. So, so potentially Arcanist Mei Feng is next. My uh, my buddy Ray um, has been playing a lot of the Ten Thunder Mei Feng, and he is a huge fan. Uh, so I'll be anxious to hear what uh, how she plays into Arcanist. That's so that's good. Well, James, uh, take care. Um, it seems like you've got a tournament every weekend. Um, you're a busy boy. So uh, I appreciate you make, uh, you taking the time and uh, we'll catch you next time. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for having All me. Right. Cheers. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate and write a review on this podcast so we can find more people almost as cool as you are. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube by searching for Third Floor Wars. That's T-H-I-R-D. We'll catch you next time on The Third Floor. Third Floor.